So we're going to uh, be continuing uh, in our foundation series. I trust that God's been speaking to you so far through this series. Like I said at the beginning of the series, it's been all about um, kind of resetting what this church is built on. This is our 30th anniversary this year, and we've been talking about what this church has been found, found, founded on for all these years, but actually we're kind of calling and saying, hey, this is what we want to be built on in the years ahead. And obviously there's other bricks that we'll be missing at the end of the series, but we've kind of picked the 12 that we want to focus on in the series. And this morning, watch your strength, are you ready? And this morning is discipleship. Uh, it's no surprise we email it out on a Thursday. You shouldn't be shocked. Um, but uh, discipleship is going on our foundational wall. And uh, this is one of those talks, again, where it could have talked about a whole bunch of things. And before I get into it, I want to mention to you a prayer. Um, this Wednesday is our first monthly prayer meeting in a long time. So we've got a prayer meeting on Wednesday night. We talked about prayer. Uh, the other week and about how it's foundational to who we are. And prayer is one of those things that's taken a hit really over COVID. And this is the first time that we've had an evening prayer meeting since we've been back from COVID, which is um, quite a scary thing really, <laughs> but it's the way it's landed. And we meet every Sunday morning to pray before the meeting starts. There's a church prayer meeting. Uh, but this, this week on Wednesday night, we've got a prayer meeting where we're encouraging everybody to come. We have uh, life groups that are meeting and we're encouraging them not to meet this, uh, this week. If, you, if you're a life group leader, we've, we've asked you not to meet this week because we would love you to come and to pray with us on Wednesday evening. We've got uh, a band, a worship band. We may, not, may or may not sing. <laughs> um, we're gonna kind of follow the lead of God is where we're going with this. Um, Often prayer meetings can be coming with a, a list of requests of God. And, and sometimes that's okay, but we feel like these prayer meetings in, in, the, in the coming months, what we need to do is gather together as a family and just to wait on God together. Our sole aim on Wednesday night is that we encounter God together. That's our sole aim. And, you know, we're going to be talking about all different types of things as a, as a church. We're going to be talking about um, church planting in coming weeks. So we're going to be talking about mission even more than we have been this morning. And actually, there's some things where we just need direction. You know, we, we don't want to come to a list with a list on Wednesday. We want to come and say, God, come and speak to us as your church. Uh, we want to encounter you together. We want to see what you want to say to us. And, and you know what? It, it might be a a night of just worshiping the name of Jesus. It's been so good to do that this morning, hasn't it? It might be a night where we don't sing at all. We actually just feel God speaking to us and we pray together. Um, so I really want to encourage you just to come. It starts at 7.30 on Wednesday night and it will probably be done around nine. We need to be careful with babysitters and people needing to get home and things like that. So, but please come and pray with us. Your life groups won't be meeting. It's a great reason to come. Come with your life groups. It'd be great to have you. And if you're not part of a life group, you're also welcome. Just come along. It'd be really good to see you there. Okay, so that's Wednesday's prayer meeting. And that's going to be the, the last Wednesday of the month, every month that we're going to be praying together. Okay, so, all right. So back to this morning. Uh, let me just pray and we're going, to, we're going to start talking about discipleship. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this morning, Lord. We thank you that already we've been declaring the name of Jesus 
and, and singing about what it is to follow you, Lord, and declaring our, our passion and our heart to follow you. Uh, to declare your name, to be witnesses of you. And Father, as we open up this subject, I pray, Lord, that we would have open hearts, Lord, that we would be willing to hear from you this morning. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so I am, uh, I've got to be honest, at three o'clock this morning when Hannah woke me up, it took me a long time to get back to sleep. And I am the, uh, I'm the worst for like thinking things through in the night when I wish I was asleep. Anybody else like that? Like, just lie there in bed thinking about things that you can't do anything about because you're supposed to be asleep. Um, and I'm the worst for it. So this morning I was thinking about it and thinking, feeling a little bit stressed out about this morning, about, not about meeting together, but my talk and my, what I've written down. And, um, and I think it's more because I, I love kind of systematically looking at a scripture and then just teaching what it says and the context in which it was written. And this morning I felt, I kind of, my starting point was feeling like God had something to say to us as a church. And then I'm trying to base my talk around heading towards that point. The good news is, is that I ran it past a proper theologian, John. And on Friday, I was it Thursday, I called him. I was like, John, I need to say this out loud. And I'm an, ex- I'm an external processor. I'm worried that I'm going to come out with some heresy or something and it's going to be bad. So the good news is I did that. But I do feel a sense of God really wanting to speak to us this morning and feeling like God's spoken to me personally, but it's, it's also for us as a church around discipleship. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to open up a scripture that you know really well, and I'm not going to pull anything crazy out of it. Don't worry if I've set that up wrong. But I'm just going to pull out three points, three helpful preacher points that I think are going to be really helpful for us to kind of do a check on ourselves this morning, ask ourselves about where we stand on being disciples of Jesus. Okay, so let me do that. Let's go into Scripture. Luke 5, 1 to 11 says, One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him, to put it out a little from the shore. He sat down. When they sit down, it's a sign of authority that I am the teacher. He sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put, it, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners and the other boat to come along and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore and left everything and followed him. So like I said, a really well-known scripture. And no doubt, if you've been a Christian or in church for a little while, you've probably had several sermons on this, on this dramatic encounter that Jesus has with four fishermen that all choose 
that they're going to follow Jesus. They're going to drop everything and follow Jesus. They've left their occupations. They've left their livelihoods. But as I was praying about this morning, like I said, about discipleship, um, about why it's so important for us as a church, that this is core to who we are, that Jesus isn't just an add-on feature to our life, that he is actually the central point of our lives. Everything revolves and works around him and serving him. That's what discipleship is. It's to be a pupil of Jesus. It's allowing him to be our teacher. Not just a savior, not just a, a, a nice friend to have, but actually our savior, our, our, our teacher, the one who teaches us. So what I would like to do is just pull out three points from this passage. And then I think that God has something to say to each of us this morning. Um, so point number one. Number one is what I wanted to point out from the scripture is that it is never too late for you. It is never too late. You know, one of the misconceptions around this scripture, especially that I held for a number of years, because we sometimes, uh, well, often actually, we read scriptures independently of one another. So we don't read them in context. And, and the reality is, is that a lot of people will think that this is Peter's Oh, sorry, I'm using those names interchangeably. Peter, Simon. As he's Simon beforehand, Jesus renames him Peter, sorry. But so they think that Simon, this is Simon's first encounter with Jesus. And it is not. It just isn't. We know that uh, from the uh, chapter before in the Gospel of Luke that we've just read, that um, actually Jesus' ministry here is well underway. He's, he's completely known in the, in the community especially to Simon. Uh, Jesus, at this point, he's been healing people. He's been healing many people, actually. Uh, that uh, He's been driving out impure spirits from, from people in the community. Uh, we know that he's already been to the synagogue and declared that uh, uh, Isaiah's scripture was actually about him. Uh, so we know that his ministry is well underway. But we also know that he's actually been to Simon's house. He's been in his home. Uh, Simon's mother-in-law is not very well. And, uh, and at, at the request uh, of uh, the people in that home, Simon and his, likely his wife, he, Jesus came to their home and he performed a miracle and the mother-in-law, we do not give it a name, she is, she is made well by Jesus. So we know that Jesus has already been to his home. He's already seen Jesus perform a miracle. And even if he wasn't there when it happened, even if he was out in his boat, he already knows, he's heard about this miracle and he's seen the proof of the miracle in that the mother-in-law is likely out of bed and getting on with what she's doing. But on top of that, we know that Andrew, who is Simon's brother, was a disciple of John the Baptist. He was a disciple of John the Baptist and he comes uh, to, to Simon and he tells his brother, we have found the Messiah. The Messiah has arrived. He is Jesus. So Simon is fully aware of who Jesus is. He's fully aware that, that, that he's the promised Messiah. At least that's what people are claiming. He's aware that he's performing miracles. And the problem is when we read these stories in isolation, we can think that this moment on the beach or the moment in the boat, whichever bit you think about, is the first time that Simon has this encounter with Jesus. And that's just not right. And I felt it was important to point that out this morning because sometimes I think we can look at Simon's moment here, which is so powerful, so amazing, I'm not trying to take anything away from it. And we can think, wow, I wish I was a Christian like that. 
I wish I was that Christian that could just meet Jesus and drop everything in my life and make him number one. And actually, the reality is, is it's not the first time. It's not the first time that we see Peter encounter Jesus. Uh, in my own story, when I was 13, without any doubt, when I was 13 years old, I, I knew who Jesus was. I knew he was God. I just knew it with all of my heart. And I declared it with my lips. I believed, I remember that moment, sat in my bed in my bedroom uh, in, in red car, just sat there and I, and I just prayed out to God. And I said, Jesus, I believe you're God. I, I, will you come into my life? I, I'd heard about him. And in that moment, I was convinced that he was God. I knew that, 13. And that week I met with my youth worker, Lynn. She's amazing. And um, I prayed with her and said to her, I want, I, want to be a, I want to be a Christian. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want him to come into my life. And we prayed together. And, and at that moment, I believe I, I became a believer. But when I was 17, I had an encounter with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit that completely changed everything for me. Like at that point... You see, when I was 13, even though I became a Christian, nothing in my life really changed, if I'm being honest. Like the, maybe I thought about Jesus a bit more. Maybe it came into my thinking at school or around my friends, I'd call myself a Christian. But actually, my, my thinking, the way I spent my money, the way I talked with the girls, you know, didn't change. You know, I still had a girlfriend every other week. I still, you know, did all the things I did before. I know I, I wasn't always this perfect. Um, I still did all of the things that I did before. When I was 17, God did something in me and I knew that he just wrecked me. I knew that for the rest of my life, I couldn't do anything else that, than, than follow Jesus. Everything had to be about him. I just knew it. And, and, and in that moment, I almost said, Jesus, be my teacher. <laughs> Change me. I, teach me how to live differently from what the way I'm living right now. And you know what? From that age, I never had another girlfriend until I met Jenny. <laughs> that was the best thing ever, you know. And, and, and um, you know, everything about my life changed. I, I thought, I, Jesus, what do you want me to do with my life? What, what do you want me to be, <laughs> you know, when I grow up? What, how should I spend my money? How, how should I speak to people? How, how should I live? And actually, something in my life changed then and there. And actually, uh, that's kind of what we see happening with Peter in this moment. He's gone from knowing about Jesus, knowing that he's the promised Messiah, or hearing that he's the promised Messiah, to actually everything in my life is going to become about this man from now on. And the reason why I wanted to talk about this, first of all, is to kind of dispel that super-Christian idea that only super-Christians are, are disciples of Jesus. Actually, he calls each and every one of us. And, and you don't need to be this super-duper Christian that has this a dramatic story where you dropped everything the moment that you met Jesus and you started a, a worldwide charity and you, you know, and, and you sold everything that you owned and you gave it all to the poor. And, and man, if, if, I, if I didn't do that when I, became, when I met Jesus, then am I really a proper disciple? Well, yes, you are. <laughs> you are. And I felt that this was important to say because... What I wanted to say to you is, it's never too late. You see, Peter, he hadn't missed his opportunity to become a disciple of Jesus when Andrew, his brother, came to him and said, we found the Messiah. He hadn't missed his opportunity when Jesus came to his home and invaded his life and performed a miracle. Jesus was after him and pursuing him, and he hadn't missed it. He hadn't missed it. And neither have you. 
Neither of you. I don't know where everybody is in the room. This I don't recognize everybody in the room. You might be someone who is devoted to following Jesus. You might just be intrigued about this Jesus guy. You might not even believe that he, he is God. But what I would say to you is it is never too late to put Jesus as number one in your life. Never. And, and some people might feel like, you know, maybe I could have been that guy or maybe I could have been that girl if I'd really given it all, my all at the beginning, but now I'll just kind of sit quietly in church and just kind of get on with my life as it was before, but with a bit of Jesus added in. But I want to say to you this morning, it's never too late to say, Jesus, come and be the number one person in my life. I want to follow you. Come, come and be my teacher. I want to learn from you. I want to change my I want you to come and transform my life. It's never too late. You haven't missed your chance. Number two, God wants you. <laughs> I love it when someone says that on stage before I get up and say it. And like was said this morning, whatever skill you have, whatever gift you have, God wants to use it for his glory. Uh, when we see this encounter that Jesus gets uh, has with Peter, first of all, he has two boats to choose. He chooses Peter's. He decides to use Peter's. It's not a, it's not a coincidence. And, and he asked Peter to help him in his work of sharing the good news with these people, this crowd on the beach. First of all, Jesus didn't need a boat. I don't know if you know about Jesus, but he's God. He doesn't need a boat. And he shows that later on in the story. Actually, he's pretty good at you know, getting by without the boat, right? So he could, he could just walk out onto the water and kind of turn around and said, right, everybody pay attention. I mean, you know, several people would have fainted. Uh, you know, but, but he, didn't need, he didn't need Peter. That's the reality of it. He chose to use Peter. He chose to use Peter. He wanted Peter. Did he need him? No, but he wanted him. He really wanted him. And, and God wants you today. He wants you to work with us. That's, that just should baffle your mind alone. <laughs> On that day that he, he wanted Peter, he wanted Peter to manage the boat, to make sure that it doesn't move in the current, to make sure that it was, he was pointing the right way. Jesus wanted to sit down in that position of authority and to teach the crowd. And, 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 and he wanted to use Peter in order to do that. I'll take Matthew, a disciple in, uh, in uh, Matthew 9, uh, verse 9, it says, as Jesus went from there, Matthew, this disciple that he calls, he saw a man named Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth. And he says to him, follow me. He, he, told, he told him that. And then Matthew got up and he followed him. Just like that. Left his tax collector's booth, left a pile of cash. And he just got out of there, went through the gate and followed Jesus. Just left everything behind. Matthew is this man who's been employed by Rome to keep trusted and accurate accounts and documents. That's who Matthew was in that moment. And Jesus looked at him and said, I want you. I want you. Follow me. And this man, who was an incredibly gifted man, keeping these accurate accounts, would go on to keep accurate accounts of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, his whole ministry. Matthew would keep that. And we have the blessing of that today, that man leaving his tax collector's booth, and that we can read the Gospel of Matthew, don't we? He kept an accurate account of what he saw, what he heard, or what he, what he heard Jesus teach. God doesn't need us because he's God. 
but he desires us. He desires to work through you. And I want to just nail this really down to you now. He wants relationship with you. With you, Jesse. With you, Jen. With you, Chris. I could go around each and every name. With you. He designed you and knit you together in your mother's womb, Chris. He knows you intimately. How many hairs you've got on your head. For some of you, it's not that hard. (laughs) Sorry. It's coming to me, don't worry. He knows you intimately, and he wants you. There's nobody like you. Never has been, never will be. And we can think sometimes, oh God, the truth is, is that if I don't do it, there's probably someone better at it anyway. And we can come to church and we can think, actually, I can just kind of sit quiet and allow God to work through everybody else. But the reality is, is that he wants and he is pursuing you by name. There's no one with your personality traits, weird or good. There's no one with your likes and your dislikes. There might be someone who's similar, but not just like you. There's no one who pairs that all together with your life experiences. They all contribute to making you individual. Your talents, your skill sets, the things that you find easy. Jesus is calling you. He wants you to be his follower, his disciple, and allow him to use you for his, the advancement of his kingdom. And the danger is, is that we think that someone else will do or can do that task better. And, and, and God still calls you by name. You are unique, made by him and for him. And this is a danger and a trap that we, we allow the enemy to feed us a lie that actually don't worry about it because somebody else will pick it up. And I want to say to you this morning, no, you by name, you by name, he is calling you this morning. Just like he called Peter. He knew exactly how to call him. Just like he called Matthew, his, these original disciples. Just like it's been said here this morning, you might be good at cutting these jeans out. You might just have jeans to donate. You might be a prayer warrior and pray on your knees. Whatever it is that God is calling you to, come and do it. And the last point, I've got to go quick. My last point is is to point out Peter's natural response. I think it's really important for some people this morning. Peter's natural response in this amazing encounter and I think it can be a real sticking point. As I talk to some of you guys and have you know, a cup of coffee and just hear about how you're doing and you walk with Jesus, I still think this is a real sticking point, even for those who are mature believers. And it's exactly Peter's response. And he, what does he, Peter say when he realizes who Jesus is? Anybody? Yeah. Away from me. He pushes Jesus away. And why does he do that? His sin, his shame. He understands that he is in the presence of the Almighty. And when he's in that moment, man, does he feel scared. Man, does he feel ashamed. And he pushes Jesus away. 
And how does Jesus respond? Does he say, yeah, you should be scared, Peter. And some of you in this room, yeah, you should be scared. No, he doesn't. He doesn't, does he? He says, do not be afraid. You see, Peter, that was your life then, but now you've met me. Now you've met Jesus and everything is going to change. Ephesians 1, 7 to 8, this is the promises that we have as believers. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. You see, God loves you and and he sent his son to be a sacrifice for you. But he didn't stay dead. He came back to life and you have a promise of new life in him. And all that sin and all of that shame and all of that stuff that you do in secret that you hope nobody ever finds finds out about and all those promise secrets that you keep hidden way down. You see, Jesus sees those and he still loves you. And I don't know about your life, but I think about my life and that baffles me. And not only does he love you, but he he calls you. Follow me. Do not be afraid. You see, you have received forgiveness. You have been redeemed through Jesus. And, and, And as far as the east is from the west, that's what the Bible tells us, that's how far he's removed our sin from us. You've been washed as clean, as white as snow, and yet still I meet with people, I talk with myself, and I still feel a sense of shame sometimes at the things that I've done or said in my past. And you see, that's not from Jesus. It's a lie, because what the Bible tells us is when you give your life to Jesus, when you declare he is the Messiah, that you are clean, washed clean. And for some of you this morning, you don't want Jesus to be number one because you know that that means you've got to deal with some of this stuff that you carry. And I want to say to you this morning, don't do what Peter does in that moment and push Jesus away from you. Choose to allow him to come in close and to understand that he loves you, that he's made a way. And look, I've got to rattle through here. I've still got two pages of notes in about one minute. So, okay. I just want to say a few things. Maybe for a long time, Jesus hasn't been number one priority in your life. Here at King's, we believe that discipleship isn't an optional extra. It's not, it's not just an optional extra to allow Jesus to be number one or to be our teacher. It's everything. He's got to be everything in our lives. And let me just say, some of you maybe hear this and think, well, that's how my life used to be when I first met Jesus and now it's not anymore. And you feel a sense of shame about that. Let me just say, you don't need to feel that shame. It's never too late. You have not missed your opportunity to be a disciple of Jesus. And if you don't know who this Jesus is and you're just trying to figure that out this morning, let me say it's the best decision I've ever made. And lots of people would nod in this room and say it's the best decision they've ever made to follow Jesus. And you can do that this morning. You can choose him this morning. Jesus called everyday people to be his disciples and he still does it today. You. Calls you. It's not too late to put him first. It's never too late. Every obstacle has been removed. You have time to choose him right now. It's not the person next to you, the person who's really good at reading the Bible. It's not the person who's really good at speaking at the front. It's you as a a disciple. 
And lastly, every obstacle has been removed. Your sin and your shame are gone. You don't have to carry those around as you follow Jesus. You can simply follow him. Jesus made the way. And, you know, we read it, didn't we? Um, James and John, in a separate account, it tells us the other two disciples who were there, no doubt, uh, they worked in their father's business, Zebedee, and they are there just repairing their nets. And when they meet Jesus, they have everything lined up for them, everything, their career, their hope for their future. When their father passes, they will receive his business. It's a thriving business. We know that because they're able to employ extra people. They have their their identity, their security in in that business. Uh, But yet what we know is, is that when Jesus says, follow me, they drop everything and they follow Jesus. What I wanted to say to you this morning, what I felt God wanted to say to you is, everything that could have been an obstacle has been removed. Everything that could have stood in your way of being a disciple of Jesus is gone. The only thing you have left to do is to drop your nets. That's our response, to drop our nets. And I I felt like God wanted to say this was going to be a net-dropping morning for some people. For some people in the room, actually, this net is like a comfort blanket. It might be your career. It might be a relationship that you've allowed to take center place instead of Jesus. It could be a, you know, a child that actually, you know, your kids have taken that center place in your life. It could be actually your pension pot or your dream of buying that little yacht and, you know, living on Redcar Harbor when you, when you retire. Whatever that security blanket is, whatever that net is that you're holding on to, I feel Jesus is just saying to you to let go this morning, to trust him. Whether that net's your bank balance, whether that net is, you know, what people say about you, whatever it is, your career, to be willing to drop it for him, to put him first. And look, I'm not saying everybody needs to quit the job this morning. Don't hear that, by the way. But what I am saying is, is that Jesus wants to be first in your life. He wants to be your teacher, your leader, your provider. He wants to be that comfort blanket, nothing else. So look, the band are going to come up. Um, if that's okay. Yeah, they are. Um, and I'm just going to ask you to stand. I'm going to pray and then John's going to come forward. Father, I thank you for this morning. I pray, Lord, and I thank you that regardless of who is in this room, Lord, I don't know everybody's name, but you know each and every name. Lord, you know each and every individual. Sons and daughters, called to you. Called to follow you, Lord. Called to give up everything, to drop their nets and to follow you. Jesus, forgive me of the times in my life when I've clung onto nets rather than clinging onto you. And Jesus, would we be a church that takes discipleship seriously? That says, Lord, wherever you go, whatever you ask me to do, I will follow you.
Lord, I pray right now you would speak to each and every person in the room as they say, Lord, what is the net that I'm clinging onto? The thing that I think provides me a future and a hope and an identity and, a, and prosperity. Uh, what is the thing that I am holding onto that it is not you? And Lord, would you help me as I cling onto it and I picture clinging onto it, would you help me to let it go? And instead say, Jesus, I feel vulnerable. I feel scared. I feel exposed, but I choose to, to follow you, Jesus.